and codes, combinations and revelations, no longer restricted access, this is a place of elevation, he gave me power over position and wisdom for my reality, he said no weather form would be a match for my vitality, which brings me to this moment, this fight, this way, I'm standing in my purpose, I'm standing in my wealthy place, Purpose Producer. Welcome back to the Purpose Producer podcast powered by Clear Mix. I'm your host, Georgia Dawkins, and today I have a very special episode of the Purpose Producer for you. Today's guest was interviewed about six months ago, and I recently reached out to her and I said, hey girl, you've done so much since this interview, I think we should do a new one. And she said, no, Let's go with the one we did because I want to hear the growth. And that's one of the things I love about doing the show is I not only get to introduce you to the stars in front of the camera, but you also get to meet the stars behind the camera. This next woman is not only a director, a writer, but she's an all around creator. Please meet Ms. Shayla Raquel. It's been a long time since uh, we've been in person. I know I just recently missed you in Atlanta, but we do go way back. Um, (laughs) I feel like I've gotten to know you better on social media than I did on campus. And that's just, you know, the beauty of of, uh, staying in touch and and really cultivating that network. Uh, But the purpose producer is someone who's using their gifts to help someone else reach their destiny. So... Who are you and what makes you a purpose producer? Well, my name is Shayla Raquel. And what makes me a purpose producer is that I truly believe that God blesses me, especially with um, my talents as far as like a filmmaker, a writer, um, a director and a producer. Um, And God just continues to bless me in order to bless others because filmmaking is such a collaborative process. process. It's a community. It's building a community. And so the fact that I can be a writer and I'm able to gift my writing abilities or what I've written to someone to direct it, or I can be a a director and take someone's what someone's work that they've written and, and create a vision behind it. I think, um, I think all of that is blessings in disguise because we're all like matriculating and we're all moving upward together and we're all able to like work with each other, especially if like I may not be strong in, in certain things and that person may be stronger in other things. I think that God really just uses us in order to in order to bless each other when it comes to that type of ordeal, when it comes to filmmaking. And I think that's what makes me a, a purpose producer is that I lean into that and um I love giving people who don't have the experience that um, I have. May, I may have been blessed with giving them that experience without, um, you know, the Hollywood standards of, oh, you have to have experience in order to get experience. And so that makes me so happy eternally that I am gifted the ability to do things like that. And yeah, I think that's what makes me a producer. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I can remember just a few weeks ago, uh, I called one of our mutual friends to help me move. And he was like, mm-hmm. I'm in LA helping Shayla on a project for, uh, <laughs> I'm filming with Shayla. And I was like, well, go do what you got to do. You know, I don't, I don't want to interrupt purpose, you know, because I definitely recognize 
recognize the value of lifting while you climb. And you're definitely someone who does that. Um, and I want to talk a little bit more about that uh, as we go on. But now I want to talk about you being a branding and a storytelling queen. Uh, you're known for the quote, smiles are sunshine for the soul. And every time I see you on my timeline, it just lights up. It just lights up. Even, you know, when I'm reading your stories, there's always something in your feed that inspires me in some way. So I want to say thank you for being transparent with your story and your journey. Uh, But what's the source of that light? Where does that joy come from? Oh, wow. Where does that joy come from? You know, that is such a good question. I think that joy... um, I, I honestly just have to give all like all glory to God, like period, because God is just like the sense of my joy. I get peace from knowing that I am walking in my purpose. I am walking in my destiny. And even when I hit bumps in the road, even when I, I have moments of like, um, because just life is just full of like hills and valleys. Like that's just a part of life. But just knowing that I am every day I wake up, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to my goal is to employ black and brown people. My goal is to t- tell stories that not only entertain, but make an impact. Um, I think that all cultivates the joy. And then just like having God that's just steering the wheel. Like, I think all of that um, creates the joy that's inside of me, especially knowing that I am doing everything that I visioned myself doing when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. And another part of that would be that... Um, I never I didn't have like a hard childhood or anything like that, but I did have sickle cell disease and I did um, have a, a childhood battle with that disease where I really struggle. I, now that I'm an adult, I've gotten it under control. I'm able to like um, get myself together, be a bit healthier because I'm, of course, taking care of myself. But when I was a child and you just don't know better and all you want to do is be what you think is normal, you don't do as well. You don't take care of yourself. And so just having the bouts with that, having a stroke at 12, having to get blood transfusions and things of that sort, um, I, it just instilled in me peace and hope. Like there, there's just... I can hit rock bottom and I'll still have that hope there because of everything that I've endured, everything I've been through, everything that God has literally carried me through. There is no way I could allow like passing clouds to to take away that light and that joy that I have inside of me. And honestly, you know, like. I've always considered myself a a really, really happy and bubbly person. Like that's just me and my natural personality. But seeing how me just being that way naturally and how it creates a light in other people, that makes me feel so like that makes me feel purposeful. If we're going to stick with the theme here, you know what I'm saying? Like that makes me feel like like, wow, like. The fact that I'm just, I feel good and God has, has blessed me so, and I'm happy and people see the feeling that I'm feeling internally, externally, and that's, and that's turning on a light within them. Gosh, like, who I, 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 it makes me feel like I'm walking in my purpose every single day. It's contagious. It's contagious. (laughs) And I'm so glad that you, you mentioned the battle, your battle with sickle cell disease, um, because I have family members who uh, who battle with that currently um, and family members who've passed away from it at very young ages, young, young 20s, I mean, early 20s. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about your journey to 
getting it under control. That's not something that other people even know that that that's a possibility. Like what's your journey been like? It's, it's all about just knowing your limitations, setting boundaries and taking better care of yourself. Um, when I was younger, I just didn't. Um, there was, I just didn't, I did not know my boundaries. Um, I would push things to the limit. Um, if you ask my mom, I was, I was pretty much the president and the captain of every club and organization there was. And it was really just the reason I did those things. I was that way was because I wanted to prove just how normal I was. Like I didn't, all, I watched all the teenagers, how they like ran and they play basketball and they did this and they did that. And I wanted to say, OK, I could do that too. like forget what these books and, and things are saying. Forget what the world is saying. Oh, people are um, passing away at these. I I have faith in myself that I could do these things. And so I pushed myself probably way too hard as far as like the stress levels and the things that I took on and so on and so forth. And then when I got to an adult, I was just like and I moved away and I wasn't um, nine hours or eight hours away from family and I needed to um, figure out how to take care of myself without my mom having to drive to come get me and be with me for weeks. Um, I, that change, that is what created the change in my mind. So I started to try to eat better. You have to drink your water. You have to take your medication. Like you have to do those things that probably as a child, I was not thinking like, I wanted to be a regular teenager. A regular teenager doesn't take their, their blood pressure medicine every single day, you know? So like, uh, <laughs> so I think that was like, really when it comes to sickle cell, it's just that it's like exercising and just knowing your body. And then also knowing when to say no Um, and not allowing people to like, um, especially with me and my my personality, everyone wants to um, like, you want collaboration, you want to work, you want to do this, you want to do that. And knowing, okay, I cannot. I cannot, even though it will make me happy to make you happy, I cannot take that on right now. This is what's on my slate. Um, I have to say no, maybe next time and so on and so forth. Um, setting those boundaries and then also just coming into a routine and just ma- maintaining your health. I think that's the way I've been able to like manage. I haven't been hospitalized in over seven years. And that's like- That's amazing. That's amazing. I know people who go every year, if not every month, you know, uh, for some type of complication or they've pushed their limits. But I think you said something really key there about changing your mind. That's not something that, like you said, teenagers or young kids as young as 12 are thinking about, I have I have to have discipline. I have to change my mind. Uh, but that brings me to my next question. You are a master manifester. I have seen you, I'm going to call Instagram stories, BTS, craft your future, like, from the sticky notes, I'm not going to give all your your uh, your strategy <laughs> oh, away. But if you can just talk, like, why is it important for you to have a clear vision and a clear plan? And what is your strategy for attacking that plan? Why is it important for me to have a clear vision and a clear plan? Because I think if you don't write it down, you have no clue just how much, just how many little baby steps you've made towards your goal and you lose sight and you forget just how many blessings you do, you have encountered and how, just how far you have come. And honestly, I got the whole idea of, of like sticky notes and things of that sort from my mom. My mom has a war room where no one's allowed in there. Um, and she goes in there, she prays and she writes, if you look, it's just like 
the entire room was just covered with stickies of like prayers for herself, prayers for her family, prayers for other people. Um, she'll, we'll tell her things and then she'll say, okay, I need to write that down on a sticky so that I can continue to pray about it. And I just watched her and just watched how like, and then I, and let me just add to that. Not only were things just coming to fruition because she was just writing them down and praying for, and then putting, putting that, that power onto God and saying, God, if this is your will, this is what I, I want. But how humble she was if it didn't come and how she still showed gratitude and she still had faith and she would still write, you know, Lord, this was your will. And I may not understand. I may not understand why you did. It was it it had to be this way, but I'm going to choose to see the message in it. And then like her just keeping up with all of these things and like seeing just how many um things that she was blessed with. And then like seeing all the things that made me didn't and how like um, it, it just didn't even matter to her anymore or something like that. Um, I just thought that was so powerful. And then it was one Christmas. It was either Christmas or Thanksgiving where she challenged the entire family to do the same, where she asked us to just write on things and then keep it in a jar. And I did it. And it just made me feel so empowered and it just really strengthened my relationship with God that I had the stickies, but then I also have a prayer journal where I just come and I just free write all that I'm feeling, but also just showing gratitude and things of that sort. And then being able to look at that jar, because once you, once it comes to fruition or, or say for instance, once it, it didn't and you just want to say, God, I, I understand I, and I give it all to you and being able to look at this filled jar of all the things and then realizing, wow, like I, a year ago, I was just not in that same place. And I am so much closer to these goals that I have made now. There's power in that. And then also also, it's a motivating. It's extremely motivating. So I think that is why um, I hope I answered your question because I can't remember. But <laughs> you're, you're doing that it all. Is- clear vision, you know, and, and, and attacking yes. that vision, you know, being a lot of people just kind of I feel like I know a lot of people who just talk about things and just say the same thing over yeah. and over. But I feel the same way you do is when you write it, writing holds me accountable. If I wrote it down. I got to do that now. <laughs> like this has to happen or I have to have the discernment and the wisdom to know to release it to a higher mm-hmm. calling a, a, and a, a higher vision, a vision much bigger than mine. Yeah. <laughs> but I know sp- speaking of your vision, you know, you're, you're working full time. Uh, we both are yeah. <laughs> and balancing your purpose. How do you get it all done? How do you oh my stay God. organized? High management is like the most important aspect of I think honestly any artistic career especially as you're trying to like balance having money and keeping us a, a day job and having money um in order to pay your bills and also pay for what it costs to create your art because the thing about being an artist is it costs like that website we, is sharp honey okay photo <laughs> uh equity is sharp you are investing in Filmmaking is expensive. It is expensive craft. Um, and so I think time man- management, my favorite quote of myself is I work a nine to five to pay for my five to nine until my five to nine can become my nine to five. And I truly, truly live by that. Like I have a passion planner. I work my nine to five, but they know after eight hours I'm out of there. And then I'm dedicating the time in order to read. I'm dedicating the time in order to write. I'm dedicating the time in order to study my craft, which is watching movies, 
watching television so that I could just um, continue to grow in how I am crafting my how my vision and how I um, craft my work and things of that sort. And just making sure that you carve that time, but then also carving out the time to rest, carving out the time to cultivate your relationships and, and community um, and just having yourself a nice schedule where it, it is flexible, but at the same time. Um, it's not overwhelming and you are, you are just trying to make sure that you get everything that you need to, um, get done in order to move to the next level. I think that is so, so, so important. And it's really, really helped me become as productive and, um, efficient as possible. And yeah, that's, that, that is really the way that I go about it. Nine to five and you got to cut them off. You set your boundary. I'm and really then, proud of myself because I've been implementing those boundaries and really sticking to them this year. Um, in, in the past, I work for a tech startup now, but in the past I was working TV, television production, you know, they, they will take it all and they don't care if there's anything left at the end of the day, but it's, it's my responsibility to have something left for Georgia, to have something left for the purpose producer, like can't give it all away. Um, One thing you said is costs. Filmmaking is an expensive business, but I think a lot of times people don't talk enough about the mental costs, the emotional costs, the physical costs, the spiritual costs. So what's been the most surprising thing about being a a black female director, um, you know, I don't even want to say up and coming because I feel like you are doing the things right now. What hurdles have you faced and, you know, how do you move through it? Wow. What hurdles have I faced? I think the biggest hurdle that I've faced and then also probably most um, black women filmmakers is getting people to to trust you and give you that one chance um, because all you need is that one chance. So you can... and. And the way that makes people more like susceptible to like give you a chance is by creating your own work. So doing your own shorts, doing your own features, things of that sort, putting it out into the world, but that costs money. So um, I think that is like the hardest thing because let me tell you, we are the most overly mentored group, right? Like everyone wants to mentor. Like there's so many mentor, diverse directors, this, diverse writers, this, and we have a plethora of mentorship programs geared towards black women filmmakers. But what happens after that? Are you giving them the chance? Are you saying, okay, here's your chance. Here's the director's chance. Are you giving them the space to fail? Because that's one thing that I feel like, uh, like, People within, I don't want to say the majority, but people who have more privilege have that we don't have is they got the space to fail. They could get the, look at Game of Thrones. They could get the big, big millions and millions of dollars, fail out, and then still get the big millions and millions of dollars to continue to do the work that they do. How, whereas us as Black women filmmakers, it's like do or die. You cannot make one mistake because the one, the next, time you when you make that mistake you got your entire um race um and gender on your back and that's not fair so I think that's the biggest I wouldn't even say it's a surprise because that's the world right like that's life um but I think that navigating that would be just finding your community building together as Issa Rae say working horizontally 
you put in your money and then we and so that you can direct and, and whatever, whatever. And then the next time we're putting in the money for this person to direct and we're just all building together and then forcing people to see um, be seen, as Ava said, not trying to get a seat at the table, but like knocking down the building and um, creating our own table. I think that the trajectory of trying to do that has been the most surprising and like exhausting part because it really just takes it really I'm television direct television what we do it's all about someone who who knows you not even who you know and it really just takes for that big exec to say you know what I want her to direct this and you get your big chance right and that's it so and that and that comes that's a bit rare um it's like you you you're spending eons and eons more so trying to prove yourself when there's nothing to prove you've done it already um that's been the part that's been so exhausting but I think when you know that you this is your purpose and this is what you this is your destiny and this is what you really want to do that all comes to the like the back of your mind like it's not something that you harp on you just keep doing the work you get the work done, you put it, you finish the project, you put it out, you move on to your next project. Eventually, somebody is going to see it and the stars are going to align and you're going to get your chance. But even then, um, being feeling fulfilled in what you're just doing right there on that scale, that needs to be motivating and that needs to be enough um, so that you can be blessed for the the bigger, the big leagues, I guess. That's that's the real of it. Um, I, you said Issa Rae, and I was thinking of that quote earlier when we were talking about your team, uh, to build horizontally. And that's essentially to lift while you climb. Look at the people around you. And I know we graduated just a, a few years apart from Florida A&M University. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to be hiring you, if you're going to hire me, but I, I, I'm a big fan. I would love to work with you one day. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, talk to me about your strategy for team building. How do you know that this this uh, AD or this writer or uh, how do you know this this person is right for your team? This is probably going to make a lot of filmmakers mad, but I don't get caught up, especially at my stage. I don't get caught up in experience. Um, it's more so you tell me what your dreams are and I'm going to I'm going to be the one to give you the chance. And it may not be like, oh, you take on that big role right then. But I'm definitely going to make you the assistant to that. And then the next time you're definitely going to get the big chance to be on top. And that is how I've built my team. Um, well, I won't I won't call them my team. That is how I've built the community um, around me. And that's how everyone within that community has built the community around them. And that's how we all work together. And it's like, once we get someone who's like, they've expressed that they, they love this, we give them the shot to like do it. And they like do great at it. Or they're like, okay, I want to learn something else because we just, if we really, really like them, we'll just keep them on board and then we keep, um, propelling for it. Um, um, that is how we've been kind of, I've been kind of navigating that space. And that's how a lot of my filmmaking friends have navigated that space. We'll just have people come up to us and like, you know, I I really want to learn more about being a music supervisor. I love music. I do this. I do that. I'm like, okay, well, come in. We'll tell you what a music supervisor does. You do this and then we'll see if you like it. Oh, I absolutely love this. All right. So then now you're, you're um, the music supervisor for this project and this project and this project. That's how we've kind of built that community and we just continue to work with each other as we just continue to move about forward. how many people are on a, a per production are you essentially managing 
Um, if I'm the director or producer or managing. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. That's a good question. As an independent filmmaker, as an independent filmmaker, you probably do. Well, that, that's a that's a, a loaded question because it really just depends on the project. And um, the <laughs> Yeah, I go to Robin Hood. I think we had about forty people who was on crew. But then to um uh to uh Big Hollywood set, that's considered a skeleton crew. You know what I'm saying? But for an independent set, a skeleton crew would be five people because that's all you could could find. Um, but so I would say the average is about forty. I've done more. I've done less. River Mint was a, about a hundred and some what? something. Wow. Yeah. My, um, that is that is amazing. I mean, I know that you're doing great work. I've seen the product, but I had no idea it took that many people because I come from unscripted television where people think they think I can just do a film. They think I can just do scripted. And I'm like, it's it's not the same. It's not the same thing. Um, yeah. That's crazy. The so I, I love. Years, oh, go ahead. I was going to say the Wonder Years, um, they had a crew of 300. So that shows you that the divide as far as like indie versus having 12 million dollars per episode (laughs) all 300 have a job it's different when you're indie because like when you got 40 people those 40 people probably got two to three jobs we all we all balance it but in the industry when i was working when i was working on the wonder year set uh well shadowing as the shadow director of the wonder year set it was 300 people and everyone had one job and they got a chance to focus on that one job Mm -hmm. and it was it made things flow so much faster. Like it just, there was just a nice little gear turning ordeal to it. And I cannot wait to get to that level. Love a right process. Now- oh, I love the <laughs> process and the staff. We got everything we need. We got the budget. Oh, this is great. Let's right. You get a job. Taking out. You get a job. Shift so that it, it keep on rolling. First shift, go to lunch. Second shift, taking over. Oh yeah. That's, that's the life. <laughs> Here's something that I, uh, I think, a lot of uh, indie filmmakers are considering and that's their management and that's, you know, agents, their, their representation. So you, you mentioned this is not just, you know, team Shayla, it's your community. So how did you go about finding your management and how did you know they were right for you? Yeah. So the thing about management, I hate how management and agents is such a hush hush process. Like everyone is like, no one really knows how to get management, but the truth of the matter is, and I could just speak from my experience, is that you don't go about finding management. Management finds you. So you really have to just focus on you doing the work, putting it out into the world for people to consume it and see it. And then you all notice that management will start knocking on your door. When I did Rivermint and we were um, officially selected in over 40 film festivals and 20 awards, I had gotten, oh, and then let me add a part to that before I continue the story. Making sure that you're ready so that when management does find you, you have a whole slate of projects either written or directed or ready to go into production that you can present to them because management is looking for what can we sell? How can we continue help you get your your train rolling? And if you don't have anything, then they can't really help you. So when I did Rivermint, I was in 40 film festivals and we won like about a little over 20 awards. And so I was getting emails like a lot from different um, management companies and I would send them Rivermint, which they already saw because that was the reason they were contacting me, but I didn't have anything else. Like I had some short films that I did in um, 
in college, but I didn't, I hadn't like written anything new. I hadn't, I, I was not ready. And I know that now and I can, I can accept that now. So that's wisdom I, too, knowing you're not ready. It's not like you're holding yourself back. I want to be ready when I get, exactly. when this opportunity comes. Exactly. So what I noticed is I was like, man, I'm, I'm getting these people who are interested in me. I'm sending them the work that they've probably already seen. And I don't have anything else to give them when they ask, okay, well, what else do you have? I need to take a step back. And the, I, um, I hate that the pandemic happened, but the pandemic helped me with that. I need to take a step back and I need to um, cultivate my talent and I need to get more material ready to go so that the next time um, somebody comes along and they're interested in me, I have more to give. And that's exactly what happened. I spent 2019, 2020, just writing, 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 writing. I had wrote like two or three short films. I had like two features. Like I was, I had material. So by the time I did, my um, management company, IBA, had reached out and it was like, hey, we saw your film at Black Star Film Festival. Um, Do you have management? Do you have, can we have a a conversation? I was ready. I was like, okay, well, I have this. I had this. And I still felt like I didn't have enough. Like, I was like, I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this. And so from that process, then it becomes more so um, a see if they are a right fit for you and also see if you are a right fit for them. So that was about a five to six month process in itself. Like me and the representative just going back and forth, having conversations, interviews, listening to the reason as to why she's in management and she wanted to represent me, but then also seeing if does it align with my own morals and values and what I want to do. And then if that was a good fit and that's, and that's really what happened. My management company used to work for CAA, um, um, which is like the, one of the, the big, big ones. And so, but what she had noticed was that um, a lot of the, like, Say, for instance, people like me would get signed in there and then they would kind of get buried under the big talent, the big A-listers. And they the big A-listers would get all of the the good stuff and they weren't really um, focusing on like the smaller and the the more diverse talent. So then that's when she wanted to um, branch out and and create um create a pipeline for more diverse talent, like um women of color and um people of color and women and things of that sort. So hearing her talk about that aligned with my values, because one, I want to tell stories about black women or women of color. I want to tell coming of age stories. I want to tell stories that I feel like are impactful. So hearing that was like, okay, she's going to actually invest their time because management don't make money unless you make money. And so they have to be willing to invest their time on you. And that's why they focus on A-listers versus the little small fish. So having listening to that made me feel like, okay, no, she's really going to go to bat for me and 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 go hard for me and make sure that um, I'm I'm given a platform to like really just shine. And that's really what happened. And since then, it was like, like, um, I'm so appreciative that she actually took a chance on me um, and and has really helped push my career forward over the past it's been a year now. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And I know in this last year, you mentioned Rivermint. Uh, it was featured in the screening room on Fox Soul, and you got to be interviewed by the Vivica A. Fox. Come on now. Like, what was, what was that like? Like, talking to being interviewed by a legend. What was that like? Oh, man. Having a legend like that pour into you. 
Um, because I you know a lot of that interview got cut out, but she just poured into me black woman to black woman. And she was just like, you're doing it, girl. I am so proud of you. And just like hearing this person who's been in the game for so long, who she was the lead of my, some of my favorite movies just pour into me like that. And, and then not even just pour into me, but showed me just how invested she was in my career. Like she, all she had to do was watch Rivermint. Um, but she was on that interview and this didn't show, um, and she asked me about quarter century, which means she Googled me and researched me and watched my old stuff that had, that I had built stepping stones on to get that's to even like get to way it. back. What's that like 10 years? Right. Like that's, that's, that's the first series I, I wrote. So having her do that and just show that, oh, I, I was watching you and I was watching your work and I can see the change. I can see the growth in you. And I, I think you're going to do amazing things. Um, it, it, it just was affirming. It was like, yes, okay. Um, I'm, I'm on the right path. I'm doing everything that I need to be doing. I just got to persevere. Man, that just really spoke to me. And what resonated with me is the word growth. Um, even with this show, this is season three of The Purpose Producer. And I've been dragging my feet about bringing the show back because it has to look like this. My hair has to be like this. My clothes, my lighting has to be like this. And so that keeps, all these are excuses just keeping you, keeping me from starting. So for anybody listening out there, like, don't let those excuses hold you back and lean into the growth. Because I would love for 10 years from now for people to say, I see the growth from season three to season 13. And, you know, that that inspires me in some way. So thank you for for not giving up, for continuing to write, uh, and for continuing to create your your vision. Um, what I've really enjoyed watching in the last year is your branding and digital storytelling about the making of Robin Hood. I mean, Aww. your team, behind the scenes, behind the scenes series, I watched that too. Cause I was like, oh, they did this in Atlanta. Oh, this, I got to see, you know, how this went down. And then you did the screening in Atlanta. So uh, what's next for this series and how can people support? Yeah, so um, Robin Hood, we're currently trying to um, package it up for pitching and, and possibly selling it because we do want it to be a series. So um, what you saw is like the short form. There is a pilot script that that comes from. Um, and then now we're just trying to see who is willing to um, purchase it and help us um, create a writer's room around it and actually grow that story. So that's the process that we're in now. We are going to do a few film festivals. Um, we're just waiting to hear back to see if we actually got into those film festivals, which crosses fingers that we do. But yeah, of that's, course that's, you did. Look at that cast. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about the people uh, who are on camera, uh, the key people on camera and behind the scenes uh, of Robin Hood. Yeah. So as far as like on camera, we had Gail Bean, who um, played in Snowfall and Secure. Um, and another probably one of your favorite shows that's going to come out that I'm not probably allowed to talk about. Um, then you have Daniel Augustine, who plays the lead guy, um, Kasim, and he's killing it. He just got um, casted in Rap Shit with Issa Rae. He was in Grey's Anatomy. Like you, the every day he posts a new Deadline article that he has gotten casted in something. So amazing talent. Um, another amazing talent is Ben Abiola. Um, he is, there's a, BuzzFeed has a Coco Brown, I think it's called, or um, Division. And he's like, um, he's one of the people, a part of that. 
And he's also like a social media influencer. And then you have the lovely Bianca Bethune. Um, she was in Bad Boys 2, Bad Boys for Life, and a few other like series. And she's just killing the game as well. So like, um, wow, to have like such a, a star-studded cast was really just a blessing. And I'm really, really happy that they lended their talents in order to help us bring that story to life. And then behind the camera, oh my goodness, Moon. Lee Ferguson, watch out for her. She's like a uh, fantasy sci-fi, um, horror extraordinaire. She's a, a writer, director, producer, um, probably one of the best producers I've ever worked with. Um, she was the producer for this. Um, Janine, who's just also fantastic as far and fantastic visionary. Um, she was the director of this project. And we had, of course, like Fam Ewan's just kind of ran up and through that entire crew list. But our executive producers were uh, two just dope gentlemen, um, Terrell Hill, who was in um, Judah and the Black Messiah. Um, he's also a, um, one of the leads of the Step Up series on Stars. He was an executive producer of Robin Hood and then Ivan Gaskin, um, who was just just a phenomenal executive producer. That's amazing. Uh, that's amazing. I'm so, so happy for you. And I can't wait to see where this goes. Um, I know that we're running out of time here, but I just want to ask you about two more things. Um, you recently got to guest shadow, uh, be a guest shadow director, I'm sorry, on the Wonder Years uh, a remake, a reboot. What is it? Reimagine? Rebooted? What's the correct? I think it's how it's rebooting. <laughs> oh, no, it's not rebooting because there, it's not necessarily a reboot. Okay. It's a... It's just a, a new one because it's a completely they black different. Now. I mean, we can't even. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's not stories. It's it's really just an, an an entirely like I know people are kind of caught up on that, but it's an entirely different um, concept to it, and it's just it's not like taking the old Wonder Years, which I was a huge fan of. I used to watch it growing up, um, and it's putting black faces on it. No, like it's it's really authentic storytelling to the black experience, but an iconic um, series n- nonetheless. And you also got to honor the late director, John Singleton, with another opportunity. Uh, so talk to me about what it means to you to be a part of these these legacies. Oh, wow. It, it's, it goes back just to that affirmation of just that I'm walking um, in my purpose and I'm fulfilling God's destiny for me because quarter four was just a blur and it was just full of blessings. It was just like... Just so affirming and just so like Shayla, you're you're doing this, like you're here now. It, it, you're 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 working. All the things that you've written down on sticky words are coming to sticky notes are coming to fruition. And now, girl, you just gotta keep on keeping on. And man, it was so amazing being on that Wonder Year set and seeing just how tell how um having money and a budget looks like for a series. You look so happy. You look like a kid, like at Disney World for the first time. Like your smile in that chair, you were you were lit. <laughs> but honestly, it was affirming because it was like the same problems that they had, the same problems that I have as a person who's trying to shoot a dope series with twenty k. Um, it's the same problems they was having. Um, show, shooting a dope series with. Six million, seven million per episode, however many millions they get per episode. So it was just like affirming, like, okay, y'all have this the same issues. It's just now you as a director don't necessarily have to worry about 
the fact that the AC didn't show up and having to be the director and the AC at the same time. Like, <laughs> I don't have to do that. So that was really from me. And then, oh my goodness, the John Singleton. So that was, it was how that happened was I, I was the shadow, guest shadow director for the one years. And then I had to, right after I got off that set, I had to fly to LA and actually be the director of the John Singleton, of the winning script of the John Singleton um, Embrace Initiative in collaboration with the, the city of Los Angeles. And to be on the one year set and then go in and direct your own set and be able to apply some of the things that you learned onto that and then have like the representatives and the investors watching you because, you know, it was a grant watching you and then come up to you and say, wow, you are one of my favorite directors or I want you to know that you are making John Singleton and his cinematic legacy. You should proud. Oh, I I don't, I don't think I cried as much as I, I don't think I Aww. cried. It was so like, I'm, I love this. I, I, I would, I don't, I would take all the bad with the good to feel this every single day. Yeah. Um, it was just, I, it was such a, a whirlwind and it was exhausting, but it was so fulfilling and I'm happy I got the opportunity. You have accomplished a lot in your life and you have survived a lot. You're, you're still very young, but <laughs> what words would you tell 12 year old Shayla, you know, who mm-hmm. suffered a stroke at 12 battling, like <laughs> what, what advice would you give her to prepare her for where you are today? What advice would I give her? I would tell her, put it all on the page. <laughs> um, I would tell her to everything that you're feeling, everything that you're enduring, everything that you're going through, put it all on the page and watch where it brings you. And you're going to hit some moments where you don't you don't feel like doing it anymore or that you're not you're not seeing the value in it, but even take those feelings and put it on the page because people are going to be able to relate to it and you're going to see so much growth. Combinations and revelations, no longer restricted access. This is a place of elevation. He gave me power over position and wisdom for my reality. He said no weapon form would be a match for my vitality, which brings me to this moment, this fight, this way. I'm standing in my purpose. I'm standing in my wealthy place, purpose producer.